have not yet heard, to your point, someone that has the opposing thesis and says, hey, yeah, no, maybe centralization works, but shoot, man, you know how hard it is to get third party people to work together and be willing to centralize? I'm actually just, I've got this one uh, owner that says he loves to be the guinea pig and I'm going to take their properties and add 20% to payroll budget. One of the hardest things about risk and innovation is knowing how long you're really going to need to establish you know, those outcomes and then have something to, to make a decision on. Okay. Welcome to the Digital Dudes Podcast. I'm David. I'm Reed. Reed, you are at home for the first time in a long time. I didn't tell you this this morning, but our nanny said again, texted us this morning and was like, oh, you know, my family's sick. We don't have fevers, but Griffin's welcome to come. And Nicole and I were like, oh, shoot, do we come in or not? And I was, and I looked at my schedule. I was like, well, I have to do the podcast. I don't want to do that remote. So I guess Griffin's going to go right into the fire of the germ germ fest. And what do you know? You're you're at home. So I feel bad about that, and I don't because I know we can manage. But I also thought about coming in just for the sake of the podcast. But I went the other direction. Was like, nah, Dave will be okay if I if I stay here this morning. Yeah, uh, to, I'm, well, I'm it's... covering to some degree from uh, the weekend with my sister and my nephew in town. But I shared with the group, you know, this morning, uh, yeah, that we went to the Broncos game. And I screamed my head off uh, as if it was the Super Bowl. I was really just trying to get the second one of the season. <laughs> um, but yeah, we had a late night last night, and then I wanted to see her off this morning, and I was just like, oh, the hell with it, I'll, I'll stay here. Well, that's we were, the point. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, you know, so I am, you know, checking that box as far as leadership showing it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> typically I do go in, but, uh, last week we had the wall demo. So everybody was remote and that was weird. You know, it did. I mean, I had a little PTS, uh, but there was also some things that I had good memories of during the pandemic when we were all remote. And part of it was actually you, like I did get a kick out whether they landed or not, but you're like, uh, commentary and chat, uh, to meetings. And so, uh, you're always good for a couple of uh, off-the-cuff comments or daily humor. Um, but just the level of engagement, you know, that you yeah. see when everybody has to work uh, remotely. It's weird like that, but when we have an all-hands meeting, our chat lights up if it's remote versus if it's mo yeah. like half and half, the chat is way less active. So you would... I would have thought that being remote meant people are more multitasking or whatnot, but instead it seems like if you can keep the chat fun, it actually people, I, I feel like they're actually getting more out of it. I don't know that to be true, but it just feels as if they're getting more out of it. I think they get more out of it, like culturally, like it's good for like kind of just camaraderie and, you know, banter, you know, just keeping things a little bit lighter. But the worry I had during the pandemic that I would still have or did last week was once that chat starts to really go, it's like, is anybody paying attention to what whoever's talking is talking about, you know, cause we're going through slides and then you see like all the uh, comments and reactions and it's like, yeah. Are you, did you actually hear anything that was just said? But I, yeah. I don't care cause we're not fully committed to one or the other. And that's, that's what we're happy about at Discord. So we, we, we offer a lot of optionality. Yeah. Well, to your point on being at home, uh, we, we've been doing so much work to our house and now we're thinking like, oh, we should maybe work an extra day a week at home. Um, also obviously like I love the office benefits, but then I love 
like having just like deep, deep work time at home and not getting distracted. So I do think a flex schedule or whatever is best for me. Um, and then this will take us into a little bit, uh, I'll use as a terrible, if you will, segue into the topic, but we were talking about risk um, a few episodes back and there's more that we wanted to get to there. Um, and part of that was uh, one of the topics we wanted to get to was innovation, like when it risk of innovating or risk of not in innovating. And um, so I'm just more, my bad segue here is like risk of being having fully remote versus not fully remote. And also like the impact that has on culture and the impact that has on brainstorming, blah, blah, blah. There's, there's a lot there. So I don't know if like in a different world, I'd be advising us to take a hard stance versus as we've always said, like you can't really going in the middle, you, you don't get any of the benefits of either, right? Like if we forced all in office or we forced all rem all remote, you could then argue we're getting the benefit, but we're almost compromising by having the, the flex. Um, anyways, I'll let you comment on that and then you can pick my segue shamble up and make it a real one. Well, I was going to say, I don't have a great comment for that. And that wasn't my <laughs> best segue. I'll just, you know, hashtag authenticity. Well, if you say the word segue, it just counts, right? Like there, that. Yeah, there, I guess so. All is forgiven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll try to, I'll try to pick that up and Thank say, you. you know, we're, I think by most accounts, our, meaning our employees would say very innovative culture and uh, whether it's directed at our employees or directed at our products and our services, ultimately to our customers, you know, we are always trying to experiment and see if we uh, can find a better way of doing things. And that is what led us to the structure we're in right now with the, uh, yeah, the work from anywhere policy. And I think it is the best, but it, it's expensive and that, you know, is part of risk, right? Um, and you gotta, you can't lose sight of that either. Um, how much are you willing to spend um, when it comes to innovation um, and how much are you willing to risk? And I mean this in a monetary standpoint, not that we have to start there, but you know, a lot of things are presented, especially when it comes to innovation and um, you know, you don't have the, that hard ROI really fleshed out, uh, especially in the early stages. And that's what makes somebody in our case, like Ryan, you know, who runs our finances anxious, um, rightfully so. It's like how long, you know, can, uh, you know, we air quotes here, innovate or, or try things and, and not see that ROI before we, you know, move on to the next thing. So you always advocated for, let's just agree on some type of R and D budget and not put too much accountability on it so that we don't get so consumed by it that, you know, we somehow sabotage like what we're trying to do here which is learn, right? Um, and also foster a really great culture. And I think that's true, but I, I, I do think that there's some limits uh, to how kind of far you can uh, take that um, principally. Yeah, it's hard like this. Uh, well, I swear we'll get to innovation, but the first thing you made me think of with that is um, when we look at our budgeting process for this next year, we have... Like, okay, we should spend X amount on learning and development and, you know, Y amount on developing this one product and blah, blah, blah. So where I'm going with that is like back to my no compromise, would we be better off in a way just like totally spending all extra budget on education for the, for the, for the team versus spreading it out among like these other culture initiatives and these other like, um, you know, innovation opportunities. Um, and I guess I'm, uh, 
I don't know the right answer to that for us. I feel like we we are so like we have such a an appetite um, and we don't get satisfied easily. Then I'm very it's it's easy for me to be like, no, we should spend on some on education. We should spend some on you know conferences, and we should spend some on you know uh, developing a new product. So if that's the case, in a way, we're just making everything slightly better. And I guess like one percent better is is better. And but we're not really taking any big back to like cannonballs. We're not doing any large cannonballs at any of these either risk or or innovation categories. Well, I was just saying like we haven't chosen a category to do a cannonball at, meaning like educating our employees or innovation for like tech. So, um, but anyway, since we're since we wanted to talk more about innovation. Um, you know, the R&D budget, I think it was a safe way to do it. It's almost like Jack Welshian, meaning like the, you know, the famous CEO of GM, where it was more of a blanket, hey, let's let's invest 5% every year into R&D, because then, we, then we're checking the box and knowing that we're never forgetting about it. However, I'm sure you could be better and like throttle that up and down each year if you had someone that you trusted being, it's like if we, if we had uh, Sir Dyson, you know, at our company. It's like, okay, I'm going to trust Sir Dyson to, to know when he should be leaning more into R&D versus not. But Digible doesn't have a Dyson, right? So therefore, um, I lean more towards, let's make sure we're always doing something experimental. Um, and then we've got to decide our appetite for risk when trying the experimental. So a good example of that this year was us leaning into automation for our internal systems. I, you know, we We did not bubble test as much as you like to say, read on like how we were innovating on uh, operationally. And instead we, we kind of were more heavy handed and said, all right, this is what's going to happen across the board. And now as we've gotten, you know, most of the way through the year, we're like, okay, maybe we, maybe we overdid that a little bit and we should pull back um, and stick with what we know what works and then revisit. So, yeah, I guess based on our experience now, how, how do you stand on like completely novel innovations for digital moving forward versus trying to take something that we're doing today and thinking different. Yeah. Um, so you're saying when you say novel versus like kind of full bore, is that like trying to understand that distinction, like how we think about it or appetite for kind of the, uh, rapid, like, uh, smaller tests versus bringing out the cannon. My novel was more around like our NLG. That was like something novel. It didn't exist for us before. Now we need, now we want to do this. Let's pursue this versus um, how do we pace campaigns? And hey, we could build automation around this. That's some R&D, some innovation, but um, it's something that we know we do every day. So there's a difference between, I think, shoring up like the stuff you already do and, and almost like testing the fences like the raptors versus like hey let's see if we can even like make it make dino dna right there, there's a uh, there's a difference to me there about how a company should operate and i could totally defend either one that you want to be the novel company or that you want to be the one that just keeps you know honing your hedgehog you know um yeah yeah no i fully understand where you were going with that i think um this isn't uh using a recent uh, discussion we had about uh, when it comes to operating top line versus EBITDA and how that changes your strategy and you know, more than just strategy. Is this the meaning, the binary, is this that example where it's like, because most people 
that either have ran a company or been in operations or on finance understand it's very difficult to do both of those, you know, to drive growth, but also uh, still maintain or put a priority on your, your profitability. So is that true when it comes to novel, like, you know, just things that haven't existed, at least at your company or don't exist at all versus the fine tuning you're talking about? I'm going to say that I think you can do both. Um, it's more what level, like, you know, or amount is the pendulum swinging to uh, the novel versus like the fine tuning. Um, and maybe in a certain year, even um, most of what you're doing is fine tuning versus taking shots at things that, you know, just don't exist. Um, and I, uh, but that would change for sure. Like some of like how you're operating. I'd like digital to do what it's been doing for the most part. You're right. We don't always uh, shoot the bullets or haven't uh, been great about that with, uh, you know, like our campaign optimizations. I think there's something to be said psychologically and, you know, maybe this is fair still to connect to risk, but when we took the risk of going a four day work week, instead of uh, a bullet, you know, I said, I don't want this to be viewed as, as a test. And I think that did change the, the vibe, um, mostly for the better, but, um, you know, you can't, I don't think it's a good idea to do that too often where you just completely commit yourself, um, to a certain, um, area of innovation. Uh, but there are things that take longer to prove out. Um, and if they're really big part of your organization, like campaigns are for us, then I think it's more understandable to, uh, you know, I guess, put forward a, a greater amount of, of risks slash commitment, you know, as far as innovating and trying to prove, because you just know it's not going away. I mean, we've said that a million times, like we're not going to abandon that part of our business ever. And so we should always be trying to innovate there. It's just more how, what's the best approach to do that so that we don't get too far down the road in one area that um, we find out really was, uh, you know, a poor use of our resources. Well, let me ask you this thought experiment then and make you raise your game a smidge today. Uh, uh, I don't know um, if this is the day to do that, but I'll play along. <laughs> uh, Coca-Cola versus New Coke, right? Like they've got their recipe and they totally learned their lesson about New Coke um, and innovating on that like model. So what would you call Digible's Coca-Cola? Versus where would we be misstepping and, and moving into new Coke territory? Yeah, I think I can actually get that one pretty quick. Um, so I would say our Coca-Cola is our service business and the experience that our clients have uh, working with Digible. Um, so I'm kind of setting our, our tech, especially, you know, our uh, subscription, you know, like our Fiona platform, as well as some of the other things we're doing around fair housing or Google posts, just so I'm being really clear. This is more like our day-to-day, -day, um, running campaigns and helping our, our marketers and operators lease up their buildings. So I think that is our Coke, uh, the combination of how we run those campaigns and the experience people ha have through that process. And then I think our, was Coke zero? What did you say? The new Coke. New Coke um, would be moving, uh, I won't name names, but to a almost entirely automated 
experience or approach of running our campaigns and even the touch points along the way. So we've already made it clear with our uh, smack recipe, which is our operating code for the next couple of decades, at least that's the way that we went into it and saying that we'd always maintain one point of contact. Um, but what we didn't say is just how much they own versus let's say, you know, a chat bot or something. Um, so therefore new Coke to me would be if we radically like, you know, adopted or went all in on a more automated experience and approach to managing our campaigns. Yeah. And I, by my example, I'm saying that would be the bad move, right? So like Coca-Cola, um, you know, shouldn't have changed their recipe because people loved it. Uh, and then they, you know, wanted to change it to new Coke and that's what caused all the backlash and they had to then retread on it for us though. Uh, what I'm going to take is what uh, you said is like, okay, the service, um, and handholding is what is part of our smack today. Um, if we went pure chatbot, for example, so your one point of contact is a chatbot, that would probably not go well. We'd probably see the same, you know, rebellion that Google or that Coca-Cola had. But Coca-Cola still worked on their infrastructure, their automation, uh, like for how to how to make a how to make more gallons. Then <laughs> they probably don't even think in gallons. They probably think in I don't know. I'm just thinking how people think of like militants. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like teraflops or something. I mean, they, they're like thinking much larger scale of, uh, of, uh, sugar water creation. But I, I would say like the, they've certainly branched out with other brands and white labeling their product and blah, blah, blah in, in other ways. And so that's where, you know, digital shouldn't mess up a good thing in this case. Like it would be poor to maybe probably to like heavy handedly, like move into a different customer service model than we have today. But um, the back end is something that we could innovate on and there's less risk there. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, we definitely uh, more than discussed and I think we will be bringing this this product, but not specifically and maybe not ever, I don't know, on the service side, but to, you know, the self, self-service self like platform where somebody can uh, engage with Digibol or, you know, go as far as like transact, do business with us and never talk to somebody. Um, but I know that's not really the intent. It's more like if you're working with us and have an interest in expanding the relationship, like, you know, adding properties, for example, that you'd, uh, be able to do that without a lot of effort, which I think's, you know, great. It's important. You know, the expectations when it comes to working with service providers is, it's in most cases, I think is getting uh, higher, you know, like. Um, but it's so hard because not everybody is as far along in, you know, what level of automation they're comfortable with, can accept, or even want. And I think good examples of that that are real pertinent to the multifamily industry is, you know, not everybody does want that chatbot. You and I have had this discussion a few times, I feel like probably on the podcast, but uh, where actually all they want is just to talk to that leasing agent. It's like all this other stuff is is great, but I just want to talk to somebody. And, uh, but then I also have heard personal polling with many of our employees that have relocated to Denver or have moved within Denver. Hey, tell me about your experience. It's just, I think a good thing for us to ask. And I'm curious. And many of them have griped about being forced to talk to somebody, <laughs> you know, 
it's just like, yeah, I didn't need to do that. Like, I don't need to hear the pitch, like just make this as easy as possible. I want to be able to schedule. I want to be able to get everything I can and never have to actually have a conversation with somebody, uh, on site. So my point there is it, that makes it really hard to know, you know, um, just how much to innovate, how, how much we might, uh, want to change. So it just requires incredible amount of, uh, diligence and vigilance, um, you know, work on product feedback, um, because you're not going to get it fully right. You know, you have to be prepared for some trade-offs when you think about innovation and, um, what that translates to from a risk standpoint. Yeah. Well, maybe moving it towards multifamily since you brought it up, if I'm a marketer, um, at a company, I don't know that I would, well, I guess it depends how much I'm thinking about the company's stance versus my own stance. Like, um, Reed, I'm thinking about like when you came in to the post, you definitely were expected to run some, do some innovation, like, but you were tasked with that. I think regardless, if you had been tasked with that, you would have still steered that direction and said, Hey, I need to, I need to like, you know, shake, shake the waters a little bit. Um, versus at a multifamily company, I'd say it's probably healthy for the marketer to know what the company wants. So are they a company that's like, look, we we're like a bank. We don't want any uh, ruffling of feathers. We want just execute the playbook and hit NOI versus like some companies like a, I'll even think of like a, like a Bazudo, UDR, Camden, some of these folks that are like, hey, we they purposefully want to lean more into the innovation, but they've also got structured programs. So it about how they go about whether it's an innovation team or a committee or what, you know, just a cor corporate directive. Um, so if you don't have that, and someone's stepping into a role, do you think it makes sense? I guess, how do you think it makes sense to, to approach that uh, almost like entrepreneurially? Like, should you, do you ask permission first or do you, do you just sort of feel it out and make, make your call? Um, yeah. What would you do now? I would definitely ask first. I wouldn't want to be inadvertently disruptive, which happens a lot especially if you have a, I'll say somebody that's very risk prone or loves uh, to try new things. And I de definitely had that experience myself at a couple of companies before we started digital. And, uh, yeah, I learned from one to the next, you know, uh, how to do that a little bit more effectively. Most companies, most, I would even say multifamily, you know, do have some risk tolerance or belief in innovation. Uh, but the sooner that you can understand, you know, what the gradient, uh, uh, you know, I guess, or size of that appetite, the better. Um, but I think creating, you mentioned the entrepreneurship, uh, just uh, some really sound frameworks um, would go a long way, you know, and I would always do that, uh, I guess, moving forward. If I was in that situation and just say, what exists today? Is there anything we, we might want to revise or... Uh, do we need to build this from the ground up um, and then work with stakeholders on, okay, now we have, you know, a way to approach this next step is determine, yeah, what that risk uh, um, level is at this, at this company or organization. And yeah. that that's the best you, that you can do, you know? Um, but it's so valuable to culture. I mean, you know, not to jump over to the who book or hiring and all that, but, you know, a players like working, uh, with a players. And I think, you know, part of that is, is finding people that aren't 
strictly execution, but are also forward thinkers, you know? Um, so I don't know if I'm, why I'm taking this detour, but I'm just saying like, I think it's so important for cultures that if that doesn't exist at all, good luck in hiring and retaining top talent. Yeah, I think uh, that's the wise way to do it. I, I remember like when I was at Hearst, um, there wasn't like a directive as far as like how on uh, at the local or regional level we were supposed to be innovative. But I could tell that they were just getting frustrated because they didn't have any um, anyone like, you know, pushing the envelope there. So there were certain departments where it was definitely more well accepted. I'd say the downside was you didn't get support. So you were kind of allowed to do whatever you wanted, like the wild is kind of like the wild west. But uh, you, the most you would ever, the the most help you'd ever get is like, oh yeah, no, you can have a, a a Google Sheets account so that you can like, you know, connect these dots and go ahead and put a Zapier on your on your P card or something. But outside of that, you were never going to get like real technical resources to do something. And so um, it's almost like it was a it was a great environment where uh, as a as a playground if you needed to experiment and train up. But if I ever, I could never have really stayed there and made much progress if I was like really. If innovation was part of my career, I would have needed to like take my learnings about, um, you know, like influencing others and gathering the troops or whatever safe environment to test, but then go somewhere else where it does give a, a directive of where they're like, we are hiring an innovator to come in and disrupt X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then sort of glomming on a little bit to what you said about the who book, like when, if I was at the point I was at now, if I was getting sucked into a position or pulled into, uh, hired someplace, I feel like I would want a very clear directive. I wouldn't want someone to just say, hey, carb launch, go disrupt. I also kind of get like sick just with that word. But um, instead, it'd have to be like, we are, our goal is X. Are you the, you know, are you willing to take that on? Because, um, yeah, I just am not willing to, I feel like I, I'm more about laser focus at this point and what I'm going to be working on versus, uh, you know, just, hey, go do better. Yeah, totally. Well, I've said this a couple of times since I read the book, but one of my favorite excerpts from uh, Bob Iger's Right of a Lifetime, the uh, Disney CEO, was when he talked about how important it is to innovate where you're winning. And I think he called out like Pixar and he took over and everybody's like, they walk on water and, you know, just kind of let them be there. Uh, and that was post acquisition or maybe it was during the process. Um, but uh, what, he came to discover is that they desperately needed to, to innovate, um, at, at their kind of call it core competency, if they were going to stay on top. Uh, and I think that's one of the hardest things, uh, to recognize and really follow through on. I mean, not a lot of people just don't, don't understand that or wouldn't think that. And then even if they do, it's like, but are you actually demonstrating, you know, an effort, you know, to, uh, to innovate, um, maintain a certain amount of risk, even you could say with messing with like a core product or a competency. And, uh, yeah, I think that there's a lot of examples of that in, in our industry, um, where, you know, Hey, we're having a lot of success with this strategy and specifically in marketing of and advertising of like putting this much, you know, into ILS is this much into paid search. So just using the media mix as an example, like we found success. Um, and now we're going to move on to the next thing. It's like, but isn't this kind of a moving target? And, you know, there's so many variables that factor into that success. Like, is it okay to really, you know, move your eye somewhere else? Um, and certainly you need to have focus through innovation. So you can't always be keeping your eye or innovating in all areas, but 
I, I just think that's a, a great call out and in particular for this industry, because I think it's so easy when you got so many things on your plate um, to ignore or not innovate where, where you're doing well. Yeah, I'd say you need, um, I would, if I was on the other side of the house, I'd be looking at my scorecard, like meaning, first of all, start measuring the important parts of the funnel, for example, if I'm a marketer and that would be, you know, like, um, website conversion rate, you know, lead to tour rate, like tour to application rate, blah, blah, blah. And then look within that and say, okay, what it, 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 where can I get the biggest gain by experimenting? So what feels off compared to other industries? And from what I've seen, the biggest thing compared to other industries is that like website conversion rate is way lower in this industry than others. So be like, great, let's take some shots at trying to move this from two and a half to five. Because if you if you do that, that's a hundred percent gain. Versus if your tour to application rate is sixty percent, you can't double sixty percent, right? You're not going to get double the gains. Therefore, don't focus on that. Um, so I think there can be some ways. Like the I like Bob Iger's thing and his story and what he was talking about with with Pixar at the time. But I I think sometimes it's the whole hedgehog thing. How much do you keep working on your Coca Cola recipe versus how much do you like um, diversify, if you will. And when you're thinking about innovation, I think, um, I at least like to look at where do I think I can get the biggest gain, the least amount of effort first. And let's like throw some, some BBs at that, some bullets at that before, you know, we, uh, before we, we swing the cans around. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think, um, adjacent to this, uh, idea of innovating where you're winning or not, or, and how much is also, uh, kind of these big trends in the industry right now. We got at this at our summit and I thought it was a, a fun segment. I mean, uh, or portion of that segment when we were, um, challenging, uh, the groups to rethink and unlearn all different aspects of, uh, the business, um, with more of a slant towards course marketing, um, categories. But uh, one of the things uh, that came up was, you know, how much um, we should be rethinking or unlearning uh, what it, uh, a site team looks like, uh, you know, and how much of the centralization should uh, people be leaning into or how quickly and what might this look like, you know, 10 years from now. Um, is everybody going to be centralized and, you know, that we'll look back in time and be like, yeah, that kind of, you know, happened in, in the early 2020s. And, you know, now, now it's a, a given. Um, but where I'm going with this is like, well, everybody's talking about innovating with centralization and technology. Like these are the, the two things, the two um, masks, if you will, that are going to get us there. Uh, I would love to see, and this is talk about courage and risk, but, if I had a portfolio and I was feeling that pressure from owners and operators, C-suite to centralize and really uh, be more aggressive in leveraging AI and all that stuff, I'd love to have the environment, I guess, or the trust to say, but give me two properties that I'm not going to do that with. I'm not going to keep them the same, but I am not going to go all in on like, so that's harder when you talk centralization, but it's like, I, I would, uh, say I want to actually hire more employees and I want to hire top talent 
So I'm actually going to ask for an average of 10, 20% increase on that site, uh, on payroll so that I can get who I want to get if that's necessary, not to assume the worst, but I want to get the top talent and I want to create a Disney experience. So I'm going to actually ask for three more FTEs. And then I want to see who ends up with the better NOI, you know, like all these properties that have now been moved to centralized and have, you know, maintenance mid parachuting in and out and, you know, all the rest and call centers, all this stuff and chat budget, uh, chat bots versus what we could do, uh, here on these two properties. Because if we give a good enough experience, nobody's going to want to leave. Nobody. They're going to be like, this, this community is truly it. You know, I'm going to be super non hashtag humility, but say it's as special as digital, like, you know, cause got this great culture. It's like, that was our goal. And what if you yeah, went all in on that? Um, what do you think that would look like with the bottom line? Cause you could drive up, you know, you'd have to obviously take the right approach and, you know, both in how much you increased rent and, um, how you message it, all that stuff, not to make it just about that, but I am going to skip to the NOI and the bottom line. It's like, could I win that bet? You know, um, and I do better. Um, so that's just a fun, uh, another example of innovating. And in this case, innovating against the grain, you know, instead of like, where are we winning? It's like, I'm, I see these huge trends hitting this industry. Just give me two, give me two properties and let me take a totally different approach. That takes some serious, uh, well, I won't be crass here, but that takes some serious gumption. Well, I don't know that you have to, um, so I guess it depends on the scale of your company. If you need to do that back to like risk, because then you're taking two risks, right? One, you're going centralized and one you're going the other way. And then most companies are going to want a control group so that you know that like, Hey, compared to the control group, how did this perform in 2023 or 2024? So, uh, but what I, you know what I haven't heard read from um, like owners or um, you know, developers is uh, so in tech or venture capital there, you have all these theses. So, uh, so, uh, you know, I have a thesis that um, we can centralize and improve NOI by 10%, or I have a thesis that uh, we can actually um, uh, add 20% to our staff uh, salaries and improve NOI by 10%. Right. So it's like basically you could take either thesis and both may be correct. Right. It's then it's like, which thesis do you actually want to roll with? And to your point, um, this industry is, well, I guess like most where you have this new cycle hit and everyone starts talking centralization and then they all start running at centralization. But I have not yet heard to your point, someone that has the opposing thesis and says, Hey, yeah, no, maybe centralization works, but shoot, man, you know how hard it is to get third-party people to work together and be willing to centralize? I'm actually just, I've got this one uh, owner that says he loves to be the guinea pig, and I'm going to take take their properties and add 20% to payroll budget and see what happens. Or, heck, I mean, double payroll budget and see what happens, because it's not that payroll's not expensive. It is it is expensive, certainly, but um, generally speaking, it's not your most uh, um to improve profit, it may be worth like taking two quarters and, and running that test. So I like your, I, I like your possible thesis. And I'm saying maybe it's, it's uh, the whole like venture capital model is you have to be non-consensus and correct, right? So if everyone in property management right now is saying consensus is centralization probably makes sense in the future, but there's a lot of 
you know, this must happen first. It's way easier to execute on doubling staff and right. testing that experiment first. Without a doubt. And I feel like there's still, I know there's numbers floating around, but I feel like there's so many qualifiers about centralization on what to expect. Cause that's my other favorite questions. Like what are, what are the expectations if you were to do all this? Um, what do you think the, the outcome is going to be? And then you'd give somebody, I guess in this case, me say, okay, now I know what I'm, I'm going to be compared against, but those are still, you know, frankly, expectations, not realities. The reality so far, you know, I think haven't been conclusive, you know, uh, not to bring up, he wouldn't mind anyways, but our good friend Aaron Moss, but as you know, he mentioned, it's like, there's all these tools and all this money that I feel like we keep spending on, on AI and technology. And I'm just not seeing the savings or, you know, these are huge wins the way that they were pitched. I think a lot of these companies, it's not their fault. They're just trying to bring new technology, but are able to take advantage of the fact that nothing's really been proven or it's not overly conclusive. And so, you know, it's this wave that a lot of tech companies are getting to ride. It's like, it's the FOMO. Do you really not want to try this? Cause your four competitors right there are. Um, but I don't know that Aaron has, has given the green light or did, you know, or would, you know, to, okay, let's do this old school, but let's do it better than it's ever been done before and see how that plays out. The other hard part of this specific uh, comparison or idea is, uh, the timeline, you know, for this stuff to play out, which is one of the hardest things about risk and innovation is, uh, knowing how, you know, how long, um, you're really going to need to establish, um, you know, those outcomes and then have something to, to make a decision on. Because if you're talking centralization, all that, that that's going to take some time to implement, like you said, and then the adjustment of like the residents um, everybody that's involved, same thing. If I were to go Disneyland, add a bunch of payroll, it's like, I'm going to need, I'm going to need a few years, not, not six months. There's, uh, I'm in the middle of, um, the, uh, biography of Elon Musk and you know, the, there's a lot not to like about the fella, but there's some stuff that I found really interesting when it came to how he was producing cars at Tesla. And for the first part that he was so focused on, he's like, we, we don't need any humans in the factory. Robotics are good enough. And so we want basically the car to never stop moving and to be fully assembled by robots. And, um, you know, then he gets to this like crucible moment where, uh, the cars are not working really well. Cause some of the robots are having to do the same action three, four times. And it's not, so the reliability is not great. And he just like, he just all of a sudden like had this epiphany moment. He's like, Okay, uh, for example, one of the things was installing the the seal around your window. He's like, that is very challenging for a robot to do because as you go to put the seal in, sometimes part of it falls loose and a human can see that and then just go and push it back in versus a robot can't. And so it now needs to go around the thing like six or seven times and it's very wasteful. And then he went and did it and he's like within, you know, his second try, he could install it better than the robot could install it. And he's like, well, shoot, can we hire people at $18 an hour to put window seals in? Yes, we can. Also, we no longer have to buy a seven-figure robot that's failing at this multiple times. And so he ended up making a game of it where he went through the, um, first of all, he said, question every every step. 
like, uh, if we're using four bolts, why are we using four bolts? Who said? And they're like, uh, and if you can't put a name on who said to use four bolts, don't use four bolts, use two bolts, use one bolt. Like, why are we doing, there's a lot of requirements that get put into the process and people don't know why they're there. And then after you've questioned everything about the process, now say, okay, what's more affordable, a human or a robot to do it? And then when it's, when it's clear, a, a human, you know, uh, is the answer. He was just spray painting the robots yellow. And if you had a yellow X on the robot, they removed the robot from the line. So they actually removed so many robots from their manufacturing line that they had to put a hole in the side of the building to take all these robots out of the building. Um, and they were able to, to more than double their, their car production. And he, you know, publicly said, Hey, he, he over relied on automation. Uh, they hadn't questioned enough of the process and, you know, humans are actually still really good at some things that, that robots are not. Um, and then, uh, so that he operates by this, um, paradigm where he says, question everything and remove as much as you can. And if you haven't had to, if you didn't learn that you removed 20% too much, you didn't question enough stuff. So basically he believes in after you have the thing ready for production, now question all of it. And you should basically remove too much from the process that you're like, oops, yeah, we needed four bolts. Yeah, there was a good reason for four bolts versus two bolts. And then that's a good barometer. So you should expect to overcut, put put 20% back in, and then you probably cut enough out. So that, that was a really interesting, you know, thing that Digible can learn from and perhaps even, you know, some of the audience can learn from. Yeah. I mean, that one seems like it'd be back to where I left off on the timeline, something that'd be easier, quicker to, to discover, um, versus, uh, some of these decisions between service, like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, right. a, a manufacturing line, like robot versus human right? versus like an on site, you know, experience, uh, uh, or, you know, for that matter, what we do. Uh, but there's aspects of that, that you absolutely could ask and just like, let's keep removing, um, questioning until we get uh well that's the question until what until you know we get to our goals or until we're convinced that you know we've maxed maxed out like from an efficiency standpoint well i think the thing on innovation is um i, I get i'll give a different illustrative example for him but you know he he's obviously believed in self-driving cars for you know over a decade and since like, I think it's like since 2015, he's been announcing that they're going to have a self-driving car by the end of the year. So he's been significantly wrong on this. The other car companies that have been working at this install something like $40,000 worth of equipment on the car in order to make it self-driving. So that's like LIDAR, you know, radars and stuff like this. Whereas he was like, well, you know what? I think we should, humans only use their eyeballs. So I feel like we should be able to make a self-driving car that only uses cameras, like basic eyeballs. So he's not installing really expensive equipment. So if he would have been installing expensive LIDAR equipment since 2015, he would have been like significantly upside down compared to uh, his prediction about self-driving. So I think he's done a good job of like trying to weigh the cost benefit of the innovation component versus like you're saying, read like, okay, well, we have an assumption if we install LIDAR, we'll get there in two years and then you're wrong by seven years or 10 years or whatever. And now you're like basically insolvent. So I think there's, um, I think same thing here. I think my point I'm trying to make is some, sometimes you don't have to get super fancy with innovation. Innovation can be small things like, do we need four bolts or two bolts? And then you're, you know, you're, you're uh, ca causing more productivity or it could be, could we use a human instead of a robot? 
could that be better productivity or a better human to, to your point earlier? And then obviously you can some have someone that takes the moonshot and says, oh, we're going to try to use AI for every communication point at this property, or we're going to centralize. But to centralize, we now need to get a hundred properties on board versus one property on board. So I think it's picking your lane and deciding what where you're going to take your shot for now. And then to your point saying, okay, we'll have a check back in in six months to see if this worked out or not. But some decisions are one-way doors, as Bezos likes to say, versus two-way doors. Like centralization is nearly a one-way door. You move your 100 property portfolio onto centralization, you, it's really hard to unwind that. You've kind of like, you are committed now to, to this new paradigm. And if it doesn't work out, man, that was a waste. Yeah. Well, I liked your, I guess, control with the two risks, meaning you're kind of running two experiments at once, but make sure that you have something in between those two and that's is that possible with centralization i think it is you know but i could be wrong you know or it's like could we centralize 80 percent of our portfolio and mm -hmm. then set aside 10 to 15 percent and leave it kind of where it sits today and then five percent let's let's go radically like into like lean into invest into top talent and potentially more people yeah. uh something else you said though when you're using the example of, you know, the robots and, uh, the, the driverless cars and whatnot. I think one thing I've learned more specifically with changes or innovation related to efficiency is how important it is to communicate upfront that this is not just about saving dollars or certainly replacing jobs or whatever, and just seeing how efficient we can get. Um, you know, we are trying to be, I think I use the term myself, like modern company, um, thinking progressively. And, uh, it was so important. And I just think it, it is that this will free up more innovation, like the whole flywheel of innovation. It's like, if we can innovate and get really smart and better about how we do, you know, our daily work. Um, it doesn't have to, and sometimes, unfortunately, it does, especially, you know, it seems like with some of these bigger companies, but it turns out that there's big layoffs and all that. But the really, the better story, the best outcome is, is that you do that and it allows people, you know, to focus on, as you say, deep work um, or even more ideas. And so you just have this amazing flywheel of innovation that's happening, but it's not with the goal of, you know, replacing, downsizing um, humans. That's getting a little bit more profound or, you know, kind of into the utopian or dystopian view of it. But that's what I would like to see. Um, and that's what we're trying to do at Digible. Because I think yeah. there's been some moments where maybe when we've been pounding that drum and talking about efficiency and automation, you know, that a few people have been like, where does this, where does this all go? Like, is this just about, you know, is this profitability? I don't know. Just questioning it a little bit. It's like, no, this, we're trying to create this as a culture. And if we do, that should create more happiness and more opportunities for everybody here to do really special work. Yeah. Well, I think if anything, the property management folks listening should feel pretty safe. There's not like property management is pretty insulated from the developments in technology and AI. You're not going to have like, you can't have like some, well, even Disney, as you mentioned earlier, getting into property management, you don't um, 
they're not going to come in and all of a sudden take over the market because it's not infinitely scalable the same way, right? Like you still have to build the brick and mortar. You still have to staff it with humans, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I think like they're way more insulated versus companies like us. Like, we, you know, we're still decently insulated versus a company that maybe serves every industry. But um, like if we were uh, an Amazon, um, like only uh, like marketing company, way more likely that some tool is going to come along that's the easy button for like an e-commerce shop on amazon um and and disrupts us so we're a little bit more enslaved but still we have more risk than the, than the typical property management company yep well anything else you want to get to before we wrap it up well i'll just say for those that managed to listen through all of this that it may not have been our most organized podcast of all time but um it is a really interesting topic, at least for you and I, and I think it is very important for this industry in particular, whether you're a marketer or operator, uh, to be, you know, evaluating innovation as it and and making that connection to risk, you know, and creating, I suppose, your own formula for for how that works. As you mentioned, entrepreneurship. I I don't know that that's good going on a whole lot in this industry. So I'd like to see it happen more, but the only way that I think we will see it, uh, that trend pick up or get established is if you can understand both sides of it. It's like, you need innovation, but you need frameworks. You need to understand the risk. And that's your best shot of changing a culture and changing an industry, um, is to, to come at it in a very systematic way. Uh, then you're more likely to get what we all know are some very risk averse owners, um, to support you. Yeah. Well, if, uh, that didn't sell you on it with Reed's galvanizing skills on this one, I don't know who, who's going to sell you on the idea. <laughs> Thank Sorry. you. Just giving you a hard time. All right. Well, thanks for, I hope you guys got something out of this and yeah, we'll see you in a, see you next week. Yeah.